Um, real quick, we don't have a screen for this, but I was thinking um, you might want to know what our Christmas plans are. So Christmas Eve, we're actually going to be doing a Christmas Eve service at 4 p.m. We figure that's after nap time and before the next party you gotta get to got to get to. So uh, that's when we'll be doing it, and we're not going to gather on Christmas Day. That's a Sunday, um, but we're going to do a Christmas Eve service. I just want to let you know that now. Uh, we'll reiterate that information later, but um, I love getting to sit in the back because I get to get an idea while I'm not communicating up here um, about who is here and how grateful I am to have you all gather here today. So I just want to say that again. Um, welcome. This is a community that you can belong to that is centered around Jesus, where we try to form and shape people to be like Jesus, then to be sent to be good news to the world. So I'm really glad that you're here. Hope you feel comfortable. You might need some coffee this morning, okay? So if you don't, if you don't have that caffeine going in your bloodstream, I highly encourage you to stand up and go get some right now because there's some details that I'm going to go through today. I'll probably throw in a good dad joke here and there to keep you awake, but it's morning, um, and this story, even though it's fascinating and has fascinating details, I would encourage you to uh, get some coffee if you want to. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 or 26. If you have a Bible or if you um, want to use your, your device, you can gladly do that. Otherwise, all the verses that I'm going to be referencing are going to be up on screen too. Um, we are winding down a study. I'm Jordan, by the way. I don't think I introduced myself. Um, I'm the pastor, uh, campus pastor of the church here. And I'm wearing a hat today because I need a haircut and didn't feel like doing my hair today. So uh, super glad you guys are here. Um, we're winding down a study, like I said, of the, the life of Jesus as told by his disciple Matthew. And so we spent the first nine months of that journey um, through the life, the birth, the life, uh, and ministry of Jesus. And for nearly three months now, uh, we're, we're closing out this, uh, the last week of Jesus' life. Because what Matthew does, the author of, of this Gospel of Matthew, he takes his sweet time with, with the details that happen in, in Jesus' life and then crucifixion and resurrection uh, for the last part of his Gospel. And so that's where we're at right now. Um, the week that will end in Jesus' crucifixion and then his resurrection, uh, praise God, after that. So... Matthew slows way down through those events in this last week, and um, we are on the Thursday of, uh, sometimes it's called Monday Thursday. I always thought that was like Monday Thursday. Why is it Monday Thursday? But Monday Thursday is kind of the um, good old church uh, history term for it. But in the next 24 hours of Jesus' life, from this point until 24 hours later, he would be executed on a cross and die as a criminal of the state because of his challenge to the Roman power. And so as we count down the days until Christmas, um, what a strange way to do it, right? So we are going to be journeying with Jesus through the end of his days as we also look at what Matthew did in this book uh, called Matthew uh, to tell one story. So we're going to tie in Christmas also into Christmas birth narrative also into the crucifixion and resurrection story. So we're kind of smushing Easter and Christmas together, um, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, it's odd because most of the time during Christmas, the Christmas season, we tend to focus on stories of Jesus' birth with the wise men, the angels, the shepherds, the mangers. We don't usually focus on the cross and the empty tomb, but we're going to. 
when we put the series together, it was pretty profound to see how Matthew tells one epic story uh, of Jesus uh, that is connected from beginning to ending. So that's why this series is called uh, Beginnings and Endings. We called the series that because we're going to see the events, as I've said already, of how Christmas really became more beautiful with the backdrop of the cross. And I don't want to give too many spoiler alerts right now, but I'm really excited to tell you about those things that I'm learning and that we can learn together. So I'm going to read in Matthew 26, um, and I'll circle back. I'm going to read the whole section of Scripture, and then I'm going to circle back to five details, okay, just so you know what to expect in the talk. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into our text together. Uh, Lord, again, I always just like to thank you uh, at the beginning of the time when I get to talk about you for the opportunity to get to do it. Um, I can see very clearly in my life, Lord, from my birth to today, um, you, you've called me to this, but it's not because I was good enough. It's because you had a plan. And you qualify the people that you call. So thank you for doing that in my life. And thank you for doing that in the lives of my friends who are here today, too. May we, at the end of this talk, um, have a refined vision for how to live even and how we focus our attention as we seek to follow you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to stick all my papers over there. Okay, so Matthew 26, we're going to start at verse 14. All right, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him, being Jesus, over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So excited to talk about that. Verse 19. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to one another, Surely you do not mean me, Lord. Verse 23, Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Verse 26, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Praise God. Verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, I love it, when they had sung a hymn, they left and went to the Mount of Olives. 
cool. There's five details I want to I want to unpack for you there. So, all right, the story it's full of amazing details, and I think we can get a much fuller understanding. So, let's go back to verse 17. I'll be putting that up on screen here. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, "Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat Passover?" So, Passover. Detail number one, Passover. Let's talk about that. Passover was a festival. It was a holiday. And to the Jewish people, this was the main holiday. Um, In many ways, the Jews uh, of Jesus' day, Passover functioned a lot like Christmas does for us. Like if you had to say, what's the main uh, holiday for Christians? It'd either be Easter or Christmas, right? And the one that most of the world knows is Christmas. And just like we have traditions wrapped up into our, our Christmas celebrations, they had traditions wrapped up into their Passover celebrations. So we have the gifts. We got the ugly sweaters. This might count as an ugly sweater to some of you. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, we have the Christmas movies, the eggnog. We have our traditions, right? Um, and they had their traditions as well. And they, but there was a main connection to the thing that really matters. Is Christmas about the gifts? No. It's Christmas about the wreaths that we'll put up and the lights. No, that stuff, is, that stuff is special and beautiful in a certain way. But what is Christmas really about? The central story of Christmas is the birth of Jesus, right? The central story of Passover is on the events that took place 1,500 years earlier to them at their point in history, 2,000 years ago. Passover focuses on, do you need coffee? <laughs> I'm feeling like I'm giving you a lot already, but we're going to keep going. Uh, Passover focuses on the Exodus when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Anybody seen the um, Prince of Egypt before? That, that good old story? Two of us? Good. You should watch it. It's a good movie. Um, so in Egypt, lambs were to the Egyptian people a sacred animal. And in Passover, I'll tell you what they did here in a second, but God says, I want you as an act of faith, to trust in me and prove that you are the kind of people that actually want to leave Egypt. They had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And so they're celebrating now, 1,500 years later, this event when God would bring them out. He told them to put blood from the lambs on their doorposts as a way of saying to the Egyptians, we trust the story that God is telling more than the story of Egypt which is also a way to, to claim a different identity than slave people. So God tells them to do that. Slaughter the lamb, put the blood on the outside of your doorpost, the top and the sides, and that will spark a series of events into motion that will ultimately lead to your liberation. So the wine that the disciples drink at the Passover is a reminder of the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost as a sign for their liberation from slavery. They would act this out every year as a way to remember what God has done. So that's detail number one. Verse 18. Uh, He replied, so here we are. He replied, go into the city to a, I think I have it up there bolded, a certain man, very specific, Uh, And tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed 
them and prepared the Passover. So this one is the detail that's worth stopping on. It's odd. Detail number two, a certain man. I love when the Bible's vague like that. A certain man. Um, Jesus says, go find a certain man, and then he uses this coded language, right? Like, go tell this guy that we need his house and that the teacher needs it um, with his 12 sweaty buddies. <laughs> so Jesus t- gives them this language to, and at an appointed time. So that uh, was not super clear, but they went with those instructions, and that's how Matthew records the story. But it is helpful for us to see that Luke, another person that was following Jesus that re- recorded his stories too in, in a book called Luke, um, he, he records this in Luke verse 22. He says, he replied, as you enter the city... So now this is a further description of this certain man, right? A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Is that all I have? Okay, I'll go through the whole thing. Um, Follow him to the house as he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, so same thing here, right? Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. So Luke says, follow a man carrying a jar of water to a house. Okay, a certain man. Culturally, in the first century Israel, men did not go to get water from the wells. That culturally was the job of a woman in their time. The only reason a man would go to the well to get water would be if they were in a community where there were no women. And there was such a community in the first century Uh, that was made up entirely of men. And we've talked about this community before. It's called the Essenes. You guys remember that one? So John the Baptist is maybe an Essene. It's the community that uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in. I'd love to unpack that a bit more with you guys a little bit later. But uh, they were a community of priests who uh, really separated themselves um, in preparation for the Messiah. And the Essenes had their own gate into the city of Jerusalem, so the disciples would know exactly where to find this certain man who would be fetching water. It seems like a trivial idea, but it's actually a pretty important one because if the disciples don't find this certain man, and if this certain man does not do his job, all of the connections that Jesus is going to make at the Passover meal will be lost. It was just a certain man. (laughs) Just a certain person. We don't even know his name. Because this man chooses to join God's story even though we don't know his name. And that detail paves the way for a third detail in verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. So detail number three. Evening starts a new day. Let's talk about that. So how can we say... If you read the scriptures closely, how can we say that Jesus celebrates Passover on Thursday night and then he also dies on Passover on Friday afternoon? How can we say that? Uh, To us, that, that may seem like a conflict, but to the gospel writers, they didn't seem to notice a problem because to them there was not a problem. To the Jewish people, uh, the day started in the evening, which is just fascinating to us, right? Morning. You know, I've been really tired waking up recently. I think it's the weather change. And you know that scene in Wally? Have you seen that movie where the, he gets up and he just is like, ah, like he puts on his little rollers? Anybody? 
we don't watch the same movies, do we? <laughs> but uh, anyways, to them, the day started in the evening at sundown, not in the morning. And it's because when you go back to the creation story, when God made everything in Genesis 1, uh, it says that there was evening and there was morning. So their rhythm of life, the day started in the evening at sundown. That's strange, isn't it? That's different for us. So in, the wor- in other words, the Passover sundown on Thursday night uh, went all the way through sundown on Friday. So yeah, Jesus can be having this Passover meal on Thursday night and also die to us the next day, but to them the same day on Friday afternoon. Which, again, is why Jesus' body is put into a tomb before Friday. So many fascinating things. Because that would mark the beginning of the next day, which was Saturday, and it was their Sabbath, and they couldn't move a dead body on the Sabbath. That's why Jesus was in the tomb Friday, after, I mean, Friday afternoon for us, or evening, through Sunday morning, three days. It's a puzzle, and it's awesome. But I want to share, I got two more details, but this next one I think is my favorite. The fifth one probably should be, but this one is, is really cool. Verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining, so same verse there, but uh, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. So this detail, the one about reclining, is crucial. It's a crucial detail for us to understand the seating arrangement. Detail number four, the seating arrangement. Let's talk about that. So for most of us, um, when we think about the Last Supper, like think of an image of the Last Supper in your head right now. Is it this one? It is, isn't it? <laughs> we always think of that, right? It's the uh, Da Vinci's, uh, Leonardo Da Vinci's Last Supper image from 1498. Um, it's a great piece of art. Um, I'm not that into visual art like that. Maybe I will be someday. Um, but that's not how their table would have been arranged. Um, could you imagine going to a restaurant and asking for, a, if they say how many people, and you say 12, and you're like, no, but we, we're all going to be sitting on one side of the t-. Like, how awkward that would be. <laughs> um, but we know that in ancient, uh, from ancient Jewish and Roman sources, that the actual setup of the Passover table would look something more like this, if you go to that second photo. It's called the triclinium. That sounds like some sort of toothpaste or like a weapon or something, the triclinium. Uh, a triclinium uh, had seating arrangements, so this is similar to what it would have looked like. Kind of like a wedding has seating arrangements, you know? You go, you go to see where you're going to sit. Um, and at this table, you can see that they would recline on their sides. So think less like um, Seinfeld when they're in the restaurant and more like George Costanza. Never mind. Um, some of you know the image I'm talking about. But they're leaning, they're leaning on their side, right? They're leaning on usually their left side so they can eat with the right side. And their legs would be, um, you can see, like out towards the back. And uh, they could also lean their, their chest into the person behind them and have a conversation. So, but their legs, this part's fascinating. Their legs were out and the servant would come around and wash their feet as they reclined at the table. Kind of an interesting detail. And the host of the feast would actually not sit in the middle. We always kind of picture the, the host being right in the center of the party, right? But that wasn't the case here. Um, the host would actually, let me show you how it would look 
with the seating arrangement. Isn't that nice? We got an official seating arrangement here. We don't know where the other disciples are, but the host would be in the second to the left seat right there. So Jesus is actually sitting in the host seat. Um, and just to his right then would be John. And John is sitting at the seat of the guest of second honor. So Jesus is in the, the host seat. John is in the, the seat of the guest of second honor. And in, in the very last seat, you can see if you go around this way, uh, Peter is sitting in the seat of the servant. Which was odd because Peter was also the oldest disciple. Sitting across from the youngest disciple, too. So they should have kind of been swapped, actually. They should have been sitting in different seats. Uh, Peter should have been either in the first or second seat of honor, at least. And Jesus puts him in the servant's seat. The servant's seat was the closest to the door. Uh, so that you could go and get more food as the evening, evening progressed. And, like I, I said, well, I, didn't, I don't know if I said it yet, the servant was responsible to wash the feet of the people, too. That was their job. I actually see a lot of servants in this church. I'll just say that. I love your servant-heartedness. John was the youngest disciple. Like I said, he would have been looking over at Peter, going like, why did Jesus put me here? Peter's one in the same thing, so... Uh, there actually was an argument that broke out. If you look in Luke's account of it, they're wondering like, hey, who's the greatest in, in your kingdom? Because why do you have us seated like this? That's why they argued. Because he sat them in specific places for a reason. Another example of how genius of a teacher that Jesus was. Sometimes he used his words, many times. Other times he just used his actions. But why was he shuffling them up? It was supposed to be Peter's job to wash the feet. But watch what John says about the feet washing in his gospel account. He, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. The host takes the position of the servant. And that servant also felt like he shouldn't have to be the servant. And Jesus also puts the youngest and least in their culture in the second greatest seat of honor. I love how Jesus shuffles things up in order to reorient our minds to what a life of servanthood looks like. He teaches them a lesson, but not just with words. He does it with the table arrangements, the seating chart. And all the disciples should seek to be servants. But this next uh, part of the seating arrangement is where it's like even more mind-blowing. I didn't know this until recently. John is in the second seat of honor. Peter is in the servant seat. And the uh, seat to the left of where the host would be sitting, so to the left of Jesus, is where the seat of honor would be. Who's sitting there? Judas. The person who would betray Jesus is sitting in the seat of honor. Jesus picked him to sit there. 
That's like a gut punch times three there. He put him in the seat of honor. Why would Jesus do that, knowing that Judas would betray him? It's almost like to the very end, Jesus Jesus needed Judas to know how much he loved him. It's like to the very end, Jesus needs Judas to see that he can join God's story and even sit in the seat of honor. And yet, we already know Jesus Judas had made up his mind and he leaves to betray Jesus. And then it's at this point with just the 11 disciples and Jesus then that Jesus does something truly shocking. Jesus changes the Passover liturgy. He changes the script that for 1,500 years these people had done to remember their identity as people set free Verse 26 again. He says this about himself. Or 28, sorry. Uh, He says this about himself. Taking the cup. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the transgression of sins. Detail number five. The new Passover. Jesus takes this practice that went back 1,500 years all the way back to the ancient Israelites that were being freed and liberated from slavery, and he inserts his name in the spot. (laughs) He inserts himself as the blood of the Lamb. Where was Jesus born? Where was Jesus born? Somebody... A manger, a sheep's pen. Who were some of the very first witnesses of Jesus' birth? Shepherds. Shepherds responsible for taking care of sheep, of lambs. Some of the very first words spoken about Jesus by his cousin, John the Baptist, were, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a big story that God is writing. And Jesus is stepping into and pointing back to and opening up their eyes to the fact that he is the savior of the world. He's the one that they've been waiting for. He's the one that is a reflection of the liberation that they got 1,500 years earlier than that. And at this meal, Jesus ties together parts of a very long story that God has been writing. He links himself to the grand story that's been written since the beginning of time. From creation to the manger to the cross, exodus out of Egypt. And the shocking part about all this is that we get to be invited to be a part of that story. It was a certain man who prepares the room for the meal. He gets no fame. He gets no recognition. But he is just faithful. He does his job and he's included in God's epic story. This is why it's important that John, the youngest disciple is seated in the second highest seat of honor 
He may not see himself as worthy as the other disciples, but God does. He's invited to be a part of God's epic story. You might not see yourself as good enough to be a part of this story, but you are. God calls you to be a part of his redemption story on earth. And that's why Peter, the the chief disciple, the one that in their culture would have been the closest to becoming the rabbi after the rabbi left, needs to sit in the servant seat to understand something important about leadership. Because the temptation will always be to make ourselves the main character in the story. But Jesus took on the role of a servant. With all the power in the universe and beyond at his fingertips... He chose to use those hands to wash the feet of his disciples, a role that he wasn't responsible to do in that room, but that he would redefine what being a child of God looks like. It's about servanthood. Christmas is not about us. But it is about a story that we get to join. When we want to help somebody who's hurting, we join God's story. When we comfort someone who's grieving, and many are grieving here today, we join God's story. When we show compassion or grace or generosity, and I've already said many of the ways we're, as a community, leaning into that this year, we join God's story. It's not just a Christmas present. It's a line in the story that God is writing. The smallest acts of love, when done for King Jesus, add to the beauty of his story. And that's the invitation that Jesus extends at the table to his disciples that day. And that is the invitation extended to us today. If you want to live a life of significance, if you want to live a life that makes an impact in this world and that matters. If you want to live a life that people might talk about after you die, put Jesus in the center of it. Step into the story that he's writing. The redemption of all broken things. That's how we can join the story. So may we, this Christmas season, as we look forward to the moment when Jesus was born and at the same time, the moment when he was crucified and resurrected together, may we look for ways to join the story that God is writing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that invitation that you you would invite us to get to be a part. We are the cheerleaders in the story that you're writing. May we uh, humble ourselves this Christmas season, even as so many things are wanting our attention or wanting our money or wanting our focus, that we would focus on you. And in a special way, we would focus not only on the fact that you came and you were born, but that you lived and you showed us a new way to live and that you died for us even while we were sinners. You washed our feet. 
you offer a new identity, the one that you started with in the first place, that we would be people that get to walk with you in a garden. So, Lord, we praise you and thank you that this season, again, we get to see you do that in miraculous and beautiful and powerful ways. Would we see you in a new light this Christmas season? Amen.